companies sold a lot, but they didn't adjust accordingly for the price increases. Right. They didn't adjust accordingly for the labor increases. They didn't calculate that their lead times were stretched out and didn't properly preserve cash flow the way that they should have. So even though a lot of companies grew at a rapid pace on the top line last year, bottom line might have got a little slimmer or some even took a loss, and which is unfortunate. But again, these are all principles that we have to run our businesses by to be mindful of as we continue to grow and scale. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group and the Wealthy Contractor. And I've got another great guest today, Richard Bagala, Window Depot. So I have quote unquote known Richard for probably three or four years. We would just run into each other every year at Tony Hody's events. And this year, Richard actually got up and did a really incredible presentation. I had no idea that Richard actually runs a retail Window Depot operation. I just thought he kind of ran Window Depot, but boy, was I, I was way wrong. So he's got a great story. He's got a great business and he's going to tell us all about it today. So Richard, with all of that buildup and all of that said, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Brian. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning. So happy to be here and share a little bit of perspective. Awesome. Cool. So let's give everybody like your, your two minute backstory. How'd you get into the business and all the way up to kind of now and what you're doing now? Sure. So it's interesting how I got into the business. When I first started college, I lived in Fort Lauderdale for a short period of time, moved back home and uh, went to college here in Youngstown. And I worked for the cable company, uh, worked on the hard lines, uh, long story short, fell, had a ladder accident, hurt my back pretty bad. So I needed to find a job that worked around my college schedule. So I saw an ad in the paper for a local window company that was hiring, uh, went there and literally my whole training was they handed me a brochure and I'll never forget it. He said, boy, here's everything you need to know about the window business. Go work a home show this weekend. Any lead you set, you can run those leads and, and they'll be yours. So that's how I got my start in the window business. And for four years, uh, sold for that company here locally while I was kind of finalizing my college degree, which was a kind of focus on public administration and political science. So during that time frame, an investment group had purchased Window Depot. And the gentleman who is now the CEO of Window Depot, Ed Kaleher, and myself got together in 2011 when we had purchased uh, that Window Depot, was originally founded in Arkansas. He came from the manufacturing side. I came from the retail side. And we kind of realized that there were some things in the home improvement business that were a bit antiquated. And we felt that we can improve on and kind of, you know, use a lot of what really worked within the industry. But, you know, bring a little bit more of, of a different perspective, implement some more technology tools, et cetera, to this industry. So that was 2011. And I started kind of training from the sales and marketing side for all of our Window Depot locations, and then kind of grew from there internally within the company and eventually worked my way up and got promoted to partner with Ed as the vice president of Window Depot Corporate. 
And so I was doing a lot of traveling across the country, got to meet a lot of great Window Depot locations and partners that we have and learn from them and share some knowledge as well. And right about 2015, end of 2015, I said, you know what? I enjoy doing this so much, but I kind of am not wanting to travel on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Why don't we open one up here in Youngstown and we can kind of make this a flagship model. It'll be great for research and development. And it'll also, you know, is not necessarily the most uh, economically thriving area. So if we can prove our model here in Youngstown, we can, you know, make sure we can scale that anywhere across the country. So in 2016, we really opened Window Depot here locally in the Northeastern Ohio area, Youngstown. And here we are today. Wow, cool. So tell us a little bit, before we talk about your actual business today, the retail business, before we go into any kind of numbers, talk a little bit. I was I was really surprised at what all of what you said about Youngstown, Ohio. Can you talk a little bit about Youngstown and what makes it interesting and sure. different? Sure. So, you know, my hometown, I grew up here. Very, very proud of Youngstown. Very proud of the community. But it's a little bit different than some other towns across the country. It's what you would consider a proverbial Rust Belt town. So Youngstown was a thriving steel town up until the late 70s. And then a lot of the steel mills started to shut down and the economic trend continued to go down from there. So, you know, I'm a data guy. I love data. So some interesting statistics. As an example, the median household value in the United States is a little over $400,000. Median household value in the great, not in the city, the greater Youngstown area is actually only $120,000. Median household income, as an example, is about $65,000, probably a little bit higher now in the U.S., in Youngstown, Ohio, in the greater area, only 45000 so about 33% less for household income. And then pre-COVID, you know, the numbers are a little different now with unemployment, but historically, we've always trended, you know, at least 3 to 5% higher on unemployment as well. Now, I only say that for perspective, because when you're talking about getting the right price for your product, right? Making sure you're getting sustainable margins. One thing that, you know, it was kind of a resonating thing with some places, I'd go to Austin, Texas, or, you know, a larger metropolitan area where those numbers are even higher. And well, I'm not sure if I could offer a window or siding at that price. And we were able to, you know, show that here in the Youngstown area that, yeah, no, here's our data. And we're able to earn that customer's business and earn their trust with their project at the proper sale price. If we can do it in Youngstown, Ohio, there's no reason why you can't do it in the town anywhere across the country. Yeah. And what is the the population about of Youngstown? The greater area is about 600,000 people. 600,000. And that's your, your market is the greater Youngstown market. Correct. Yeah. So it's based upon DMA. So we're we're situated right in between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, okay. Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Ohio. So Pittsburgh is a huge DMA and Cleveland is a huge DMA. And the Youngstown's just this very small metropolitan kind of squeeze between the two of them. And that population is about 600,000. Yeah. So about 200,000 homes or households and what, about half of those are probably actually owner occupied? Maybe a little yeah, less. that's that's pretty accurate. You know, a fair amount of that population still might live in apartments or rental properties as well, especially with the housing thing that happened in 2008. A lot of investment came in and purchased some of those houses and, and a fair amount of the population lived there as well. Yeah. So it's not like an 
I mean, I hate to say it, but it's not like an ideal market. Sure. No, it's definitely not an ideal market. And, you know, one of the reasons why I moved back from Florida, as well as just have decided to stay here, is I'm very, very close with my family. So I I don't want to move away from my family. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to lay roots here. I mean, I'd love to go to Denver, Colorado, or some other large metropolitan where, you know, don't have to battle some of the things that we do here locally. But we've been able to be very successful in this area prove the model. And that's kind of going to contribute to our future growth plans into those larger metropolitans that we can serve out of Youngstown. Yeah. Can you give uh, the audience a little indication of of size? Sure. You can either do revenue or number of jobs, whatever you're comfortable with. Sure. So last year, we finished out the year right about $6.5 million in revenue here in Youngstown. And again, that's just the, the Youngstown area and the area that we service. And fortunately, we've been very, very profitable every year. Every year we've shown growth, about 30% growth. We plan for about 25, hit about 35 for that growth. And that's planned growth. We, we could grow at a faster rate. But one thing I learned very early on is if you don't have the infrastructure on the back end to support that growth, you're creating a world of problems for yourself. And therefore, it's going to translate into a negative customer experience. And reputation means everything. And also making sure that we do right by that homeowner. So as we grow, we want to make sure we have the proper infrastructure, not just sales infrastructure, but from on the administrative end. And then just not most important is the install infrastructure, because if you can't get the jobs installed and installed properly, then that, therefore you're going to have a problem long-term and create a ton of service liability for yourself. Yeah, and it's interesting because the last couple of years has really been all about stretching growth. And it was all unplanned with a lot of companies stretching it to the point where backlog became an issue, installation became an issue, just all kinds of things. And I think slowly people are starting to work their way out of it. But yeah, last couple of years have been very interesting in terms of companies that have planned growth versus let's just take everything we can get and we'll figure it out on the back end. But I think you're right in that it will eventually break somewhere. And if it breaks with the customer, yeah, that's not a good not a good place to be. Sure, absolutely. And it's you have to be mindful because even if you're able to find somebody to say install the windows or the siding, are they doing it the right way? Are you going to have controls in place to make sure that you don't have legacy service out there, which could be a huge liability that a lot of people don't calculate? So, you know, you say this often on the podcast, but it doesn't matter about your top line. It matters about how profitable you are at the end of the year. So can we go ahead and still grow at the rate we want to grow, charge the right price and still have the proper install infrastructure on the back end to install it as compared to trying to, you know, sell too much? One of the biggest hurdles I've heard a lot of companies ran into last year and, and we're very fortunate we did it here in a lot of window depots is companies sold a lot but they didn't adjust accordingly for the price increases right. they didn't adjust accordingly for the labor increases they didn't calculate that their lead times were stretched out and didn't properly preserve cash flow the way that they should have so even though a lot of companies grew at a rapid pace on the top line last year bottom line might have got a little slimmer or some even took a loss and which is unfortunate But again, these are all principles that we have to run our businesses by to be mindful of as we continue to grow and scale. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we do, we talk about profit a lot here and it's really all about the bottom line. Forget the top line. Top line is only a function of what you want to hit on the bottom line, but it's a shame 
that in the last couple of years with things being so good, with the market being so good on the sell side, it's a shame that people worked more, had more stress, sold more than they've ever sold, and yet don't have the profit to show for it. And it's it's really a bad situation. I hope a lot of people haven't done that, but you know as well as I do that there are too many people out there that didn't have that right foundation in place, the right principles. I like the word that word principles. Can you talk a little bit more about what you meant by that? Yeah. So I think a lot of businesses, you know, one thing I, I promoted a lot and I had mentioned a little bit at Tony's seminar and uh, we also uh, just did a Rick Rosso seminar after that and talked about these same kind of principles, but it is a risky business, right? A lot of people tend to overlook the risk home improvement or any small business owner takes, you know, statistically you have a 50% chance of failing within two years an 80% yeah. chance of failing within five and upwards of a 90% chance of failure within 10 years. So why take on this risk? Why take on all this stress? Why go ahead and hedge, you know, maybe a mortgage or whatever your retirement plan is, et cetera, to grow, start a business and then grow that business. And then again, take on all those additional factors of stress and so forth. So I think Harvard did a study of a few years ago and they were wondering why do so many small businesses fail? And I think it was roughly about 70, 72% of them never even had a business plan. Yeah. And that's scary, right? You're taking on all this risk, all this stress, you know, go ahead and hedging every single thing that you have and not having a plan in place to figure out where do you want to go and what is your why? Why do you want to achieve these goals? So I think those principles really boil down to having a plan in knowing what your marketing expenses are, knowing what your material costs are, right? Knowing what your labor costs are, what are your administrative costs? And then making sure that you're putting additional costs in there for insulation against the unknown. And if you focus on those and how you can manage them accordingly and plan and constantly monitor your numbers, constantly be mindful of that, those are the basic principles that I think that any company should run by on the financial side. And then if you turn it over to the customer side, which is our most valuable asset, that and the, the people within the organization, it's making sure, A, you create a good culture within your team that's going to translate into a wonderful customer experience. And I think those are really the foundation of what makes a company successful overall. It's the people and it's the people within the organization and the customers outside the organization as well. You mentioned plan in there a number of times. And I think that, I really think that people get stuck when we start to talk about planning, because what does that look like? What does a plan look like? Can you talk a little bit about how you went about, you yourself, how did you go about, you started in 16, you've had incredible growth over the last six years, but measured growth. And so I know you had a plan, but how did you go about putting it together? Sure. Great question. So first off, every at the end of every year, I identify where I want to be the next year and kind of reverse engineer it from there. First and foremost, I'm going to identify where do I want my profitability to be? And I literally work backwards from there. 
So it's, you know, it's not complicated. It's pretty simple math, right? Let's say that you want to have, let's say you want to, your focus is a 10% marketing cost and you want to do $5 million in sales, right? I know that I have now 5,000 or $500,000 to apportion to my budget next year. So where am I going to put that money? Where am I going to apportion it? So step one is the lead. Leads are the lifeblood of this business. We all know that. So, okay, I have a $500,000 budget. Where are the marketing channels that I'm going to invest that budget in to hit my $5 million goal, let's say? And then from there, go ahead, Brian, you had a question. Let me stop you for one second. There was one thing in there that I know you thought of, but you you might have skipped it. And that was the $5 million. How'd you come up with the $5 million? And that was a function of the profitability that you wanted to make, right? Sure. And we're just talking in general terms, but let's just say you wanted a net profit of say 750,000, 15%. And that's how you get to that 5 million top line number. And the number doesn't matter. It is what it is for you. So then when you have that top line number, then now you know, okay, now I know I've got 10% in there for marketing costs. So I've got $500,000, so go from there, sorry. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. Yeah, no, no, that's a great point. And, and because again, you started- because you did it, you do it the right way, man. You start with, well, how much money do I want to make? And then what does my business need to look like in order for me to make the money I want to make? It blows my mind that people start with, well, I want to sell 5 million. Why the hell do you want to sell 5 million? No good reason, right? Understand. Anyway, go on. So you have 500,000 for marketing. Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, you're good. And, And it's a valid point, right? You need to first start and identify how much money you want to make. And most importantly, why do you want to make that amount of money? You know, do you, where do you want to put that amount of money? Is it all going to you? Is it going to retirement? Do you need to make that to reinvest for future growth in the company? Which is, I think, a lot of people overlook. You, the, the profit that you make at the end of the year needs to be, some of that needs to be put back in if you want to grow for future years, have that money right. set aside. But anyways, so reverse engineer from there. So I'm just going to use an arbitrary number of 5 million, 10% marketing cost, 500,000. Where am I going to put that marketing money, right? And how am I going to get those leads? And every single month, I'm monitoring that. Am I within the range that I want to be for my marketing percentage? If not, I'm going to adjust it. Then I'm going to monitor it the next month and continue to focus on it from there so we can keep our marketing percentage low. And then after you identify, okay, here's where we're going to apportion our marketing, 
how much am I going to put to my overhead or my administration of that? Okay, well, I want to keep that 10% or under. Now I have a $500,000 budget that's going to be for the warehouse, that's going to be for the office, that's going to be for the most important asset in my business, which is the people and their salaries and their bonus structure. And then from there, you want to plan out what your material cost is, what your labor cost is, and then what your commission percentage is. And if you calculate all those numbers accordingly, you should be able to arrive at your net profitability at the end of the year. And we have pro formas built out for this within Window Depot and kind of show you how to arrive at that budget number, right? But to your point earlier, it's unfortunate that so many people get into business without thinking with the end goal in mind, how much profit do I want to make, right? And I don't think it's the fault of most business owners because nobody's really brought up in that mindset unless you went to go get an MBA or, you know, you're really focused on reading books or learning about that. This isn't something that society has conditioned us to learn throughout high school and college. You know, your high school guidance counselor isn't talking to you about going into the private sector and starting your own business and how much money do you want to make? You know, they're trying to push you towards a college career so you can get yourself in more debt, right? So this is a message that I appreciate within our industry that's starting to be talked about more. Very much appreciate that you talk about on the wealthy contractor to kind of get small business owners, whatever industry they're in, in the mindset of, okay, why have you decided to do this? And how much money do you want to make? And then from there, you can make the plan and then work the plan, you know, from there. And then once you have it developed, as long as it's effective and you're hitting your numbers, you can continue to scale it from there. The framework and the foundations there, you just kind of build it up from the ground up. Yeah. And it's, it is refreshing that it is being talked about now because for years, for years, all we talked about was how much did you sell? And what was your NSLI? And what was your lead cost? And what was your conversion rate? And we didn't talk about what profit margin are you working towards? You know, the stand, not the standard, but the average, I think, in, in the industry is a 3% net profit, 3%. So if you do $5 million a year, let's say it's 500 jobs, right? Imagine all of the work that, well, you don't have to imagine, you know how much work there is and how much liability there is in there. And you're going to do all of that for 150,000. You're better off going and selling for somebody else, right? Sure. But Absolutely. if you do that business right, if you do that business right, you can get rich from $5 million. I talk to people about this all the time. It's like, I don't want to hear how much you want to sell until you tell me how much money you want to make. Because when you tell me what you want to make, then we can, like you said, we can reverse engineer the business. We can figure out, okay, how many jobs do we need to sell? How many leads do we need to create? And on and on and on. The other thing that you talked about, and we talk a lot about this, especially the last few years, is culture. Talk a little bit more about that, because those were your two big things, was a plan and culture, your people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And, yeah, you know, culture is interesting, right? Because it seems more and more it's becoming like a buzzword rather than the substance behind what it really is. And it doesn't matter unless you want to be that one or two person operation out there. In order to grow your business, people are the most important asset and literally are an asset to the business itself, right? And if people don't feel important within the organization, they don't understand what the goals are, there isn't a direct line of communication as to what those goals are. And if you're hitting them, it doesn't really create a positive culture. You know, I've walked into a lot of 
different businesses and you could just feel the energy in there isn't one that is welcoming a to the consumer also to the organization right and you know it's one thing i like to say is we work very hard but we have a very happy and fun workplace environment if you came into our our office you're going to hear people laughing joking around having a good time nobody really likes to work right but i'm very confident to say that most of our staff when they come in they're like hey if i have to work this is a pretty great place to work that's and cool. they know what what's our why as well. You know, every single month we have a staff meeting to kind of go over our performance and how we get better. And I ask for input. I want our team to tell us how we can improve. You know, one of my favorite high one of my high school teachers, I'll never forget. One time I was sitting in a class and a student came in and he said, hey, I have a problem. And he was a great guy, 10th Mountain Division, sergeant in the army. He looked at him without a uh, fail and he said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions, right? And that's always resonated with me because I think if you look at the people in the, the, that are there on the ground that are dealing with the problems every day, they're the ones that are going to recommend better solutions and how you can get, improve overall better than you at the top can. So, you know, two ears and one mouth for a reason that goes into sales, but that also goes into leadership. Listen to your people and they'll tell you how you can get better as a leader and how you can get better as an organization. So... Here's something. So when you, when, when we talked about all of this at Hody and a part of Window Depot at the corporate level, and you run a, you, you mentioned the, the revenue number, right? Of your store? Yes. Okay. So seven plus million on your way to more next year. How the hell do you do all of that? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, it, it's all about trying to implement better efficiencies, right? Where where can I dedicate my time and my focus to make the biggest impact? I don't want to sit there day to day and and bury myself in the mundane day to day, you know, little detail things. Now I'm very focused on the detail, but it's about delegation. It's about trusting your team, and it's about having a better understanding of where you can optimize yourself and optimize your time. So, you know, some days I'm out, we just literally, you'll see our training room in the back here. Two weeks ago, we had a large training. People came in from all over the country. We were able to host uh, other Window Depot locations and do that training. You know, the next day I'm in a meeting with our manufacturer and maybe the next day I'm in the office itself, you know, just touching on the day-to-day and and having our, you know, weekly meeting on performance levels. But I, I think really it boils down to delegation to your team and realizing where you can best utilize your talents and optimize your time. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's easy. You know, I always hear people go, oh, well, yeah, you know what? I'm only spending so much time doing this. And, and everybody has their own pace, right? But there's days, you know, it's very fast paced. You're putting in 10, 12 hours a day. You're extremely stressed out. And then there's other days where you can go away for a week and you come back in the business and everything's ran just fine without you. And you could take a deep breath and go, this is what I've worked so hard to build to achieve and get to this point. So I think that and really that's is all the, the that's all well solution. and good. Okay, Richard, that's all well and good. But let's get down to a little bit of nitty gritty because look, you at some point, you know, just from all of your work with your with your dealers, with the, the with the contract, all the contractors you guys work with. So this business is pretty predictable in terms of okay, here's the skill set that I need to get to a million dollars in revenue. Here's the skill set. Now I need a whole new skill set to get from a million to two, two and a half, somewhere in two to three million. Then there's a whole new skill set and mindset 
to get to five to seven around where you are right now. And then there's another mindset to get to 10 million plus. You broke through each of those levels and each of those levels and really what it comes down to, and you're talking about it, is the ability to delegate, is the ability to say, you know what, I can't run every lead. And so, in fact, I shouldn't run any leads. So I have to develop a sales team. I can't go and work every home show. In fact, I shouldn't work any home shows. So I got to build a team for that. I shouldn't be installing windows, right? Never. So I got to go build a team for that. But it's like with each level, it becomes, you know, it's progressively more people. So how did you get through it so quick? Because you know, people get stuck at that, you know, getting to a million nowadays is not as hard as it was 10 years ago. But once you get to that million, million two, you're stuck there unless you make some pretty dramatic changes to go up to that next level. So how did you kind of break through those levels so quickly? I think simply, simply, Brian, it boils down to creating a system and then implementing that system within the people that you start to delegate to. As you had said, I mean, every single hat of this business, other than installation, I've been on installs I've held, but other than installation, I've worn this business. I mean, literally when we first started our retail operation, I can remember driving around, we have a, a big Sprinter van logoed up, you know, it's a great billboard and pulling over to the side of the road and setting a lead as I'm driving to another lead, right? Yeah. I'm going back into the office after I run for the day to order the windows for the next day and make sure we get the install scheduled. So as I was going through those, as the person wearing that hat, I realized, okay, I need to make sure we document every single one of these processes. So then the next person, when they come in, they're able to be trained on it. And then they have that framework in front of them so they can continue to grow. And that's something that we're doing still within our organization to this day. We just had a new person start in the office. So she's documenting her entire training journey. So when the next person starts and as we grow, we have that framework there for them. So that that's really is the answer is learning from how you've grown individually and then being able to put it in some type of process, whether written, I prefer video and being able to see that because most people are visual learners and documenting that journey that you've had so somebody else can follow within your footsteps and then most importantly, improve upon what you've already built. Yeah, very well said. And, and you know, there's people listening that are seven years into the business, three years into the business, 20 years in the business. And the story you told about the sprinter van, where you're on your way to deal with one appointment, but now you're setting another appointment, you had to pull over, they're still doing that. Sure. And it's it's like Richard said, it's it's document the process. This is how we do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. This is how we do it. And then you bring on somebody, delegate that activity to them, and hopefully you bring on somebody that can improve on it. And then they're going to go and teach it to somebody else and teach it to somebody else. And that's how you slowly start to build out a team. What about the other side of it? So there's the skill set side of it, but there's also that mindset part of it where you go, you know, if you're doing a million dollars, let's say your business makes a hundred, 150,000. But when you go to 500, when you go to, I mean, 
it should make, look, I used to say 10% was like the new break even, 10% profit. Now, I think 10% is like your bare, bare minimum. I think everybody should be striving for 15 to 20%. But when you run those numbers, it's like, wow, you know, I make 150,000, now I'm going to make 500,000 a year. How do you deal with that in your head of, wow, I'm going to make so much more money? (laughs) You know, money is important and making that profit is important as well. But I think really the mindset has to be, where do I want my business to be? Where do I want my growth trajectory to be? And identifying the why, right? You can say, hey, I want to make $500,000 a year. I want to make a million dollars a year. But what's the purpose behind that? Do you want to get to retirement earlier? Do you want to help pay off you know, a relative's house or you know, help serve someone else? Do you want to contribute that money to charity? Do you want to give bonus out your employees even more? It's really trying to identify what is the purpose behind it. And I think once you identify that purpose, that gives you the proverbial fire in your belly to say, all right, you know what? I have the energy. I have the desire. Let's go ahead and roll up our sleeves literally and get to work. And I I think a lot of people don't identify that. It sounds, you know, it sounds good to go, oh, I make 150,000 a year and I want to make $300,000 next year. And that's just kind of an arbitrary number. But I think if you don't understand what the purpose is behind it, you really don't have the motivation to achieve to it. So oftentimes I've talked to other, you know, owners and, you know, we have a national meeting every year. We have regional meetings, et cetera. And they say, next year, I want to do this. And I'll say, fantastic. Why? And oftentimes I find they don't really understand what the why is. So I I think that's really a good starting point for anyone to kind of get into that mindset. And after they identify that, that's really going to give them the purpose to to get through the emotional roller coaster that owning a small business is. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And if anybody's stuck, go back and listen to what he just said. Go back two or three minutes and listen to what he said again. And if you have to listen to it two or three times, because he's absolutely right. You want to make more money, but why do you want to make more money? How are you going to spend it? Where is it going to go? I call it making it real. you got to make it real. And, and, and then you can, you'll achieve it. Only then will you even have a chance at achieving it. So that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So I'm looking at the clock here. We got to wrap up, but I am kind of curious about what you think, and you have a unique perspective. How many, tell me, how many markets are there? How many dealers do you guys have now in Window Depot? Oh, currently, I think we have about 81 locations with roughly about 75 owners. Wow, that's awesome. So you've got a pretty good pulse on what's going on out there. I think there's a little bit of uncertainty. I just wrote a little a little thing yesterday about, you know, technically we're supposed to be in recession, but it doesn't really feel like it. And of course, you know, the administration is like, you know, redefining what a recession is. But, you know, aside from that, where do you kind of, do you have any sense of where things are going to head next year? So, you know, all, you know all this spot. Sure. All of it is kind of a guess, right? If I find you yeah. exactly or had a, a better understanding of it, I'd be even a wealthier man than I am in today. Yeah, because yeah. I'd be predicting markets, right? So all I can really do is speculate based upon the temperature of those 81 markets, right? So I mean, yeah. number one, if you look at, you know, Lira, the leading indicator of remodeling activity, you look at some Harvard studies, etc. Everything indicates that remodeling in particular, and new, new construction is dropping, 
So remodeling is looking very strong through 2023 and beyond. However, you know, it, it's going to be market specific and nobody really knows where the economy is going to go. Right. Yeah. So I think I was you hoping know, really, you had an answer for me, but sure. And you I think the same it's, answer really, it's I going do. to boil down to consumer sentiment. Right. It's how they feel about the market and about wanting to spend. Obviously, inflation's here and we're, we're dealing with those inflation indicators anywhere from nine to 11 plus percent. You know, you see a little bit of wage growth occurring with that. You see housing values continuing to at least stay stable after that boom of 2020. Some of them increasing in larger metropolitans like Nashville or Denver, Austin, even Columbus, Ohio right now is just absolutely booming because the Intel chip plants being put there. So those markets are going to have absolute explosion of growth. And those are great ways to focus on. But then you look at more smaller metropolitans, such as a Youngstown, such as a, a Flint, Michigan, or, you know, somewhere in, in the middle of Iowa, like Cedar Rapids. That's where, you know, your average consumer out there has, I think, a little bit of trepidation to say, do I want to invest in my home right now? But they all there, they're looking at is how much is that loaf of bread at the store? How much is that gallon of gas? We're starting to see that trending down now. Some are starting to go away. Now we're starting to see that uptick a little bit in remodeling activity. Now, yeah. one thing that we're focusing on is we're expanding into a larger metropolitan. Um, our good friend Tony services Cleveland, Ohio, proud window depot up there. So our focus is Pittsburgh, where we're continuing to grow in there. And our goal is to, by the end of the year, start to market even harder in Pittsburgh. And we have a meeting actually within a couple of weeks to really solidify some install infrastructure there as well. So to answer your question, I don't really know what the market as a whole is going to do. But if I'm a small business owner, specifically in our space, and I start to see leads are dropping a little bit, average ticket might price might be going down or staying a little bit stagnant. How do you insulate yourself from that correction that we know is coming? Now, number one, obviously, is build a better relationship with your customers and a great thing that G4 does. But I think another thing is to be a little bit mindful of, is there a way that I can pivot into a market where I'm still seeing housing increase, where I'm still seeing remodeling activity going? Maybe the household income or the household values are higher. Okay, maybe that's where I invest because I've mined the gold where I'm at now. So it's time to kind of move on to a, another area where I can continue to cultivate. Interesting. I love it. Great answer. Well, I thanks. For right not guy. too bad for putting me on the spot. I, I know. I asked the right guy about that. That's awesome. Well, look, man, this has been great. And you got to come back because there's so much more that we could talk about. Your marketing is phenomenal. I mean, it's, we'll talk about that next time. Your, the marketing stuff that you showed at Tony's thing was, was really, really great. And I'm sure there's a lot more of it too, but you know, look, everybody that's listening, you know, you're listening to a guy that you got to admit, pretty smart guy and pretty successful. And if you're in the window business and you're looking for maybe some support like a Richard, you may want to look into the Window Depot opportunity. Do you want to just real quick tell people where they can find out more information about the opportunity with Window Depot? Sure. Yeah, we have plenty of markets available. We have a great website, windowdepotpartnership.com. 
So you can go and learn all about our network, kind of our model as well, how we get better buying power. But the best part about being a part of our group above and beyond marketing, buying power, et cetera, is the ability to share and network with our peers. We learn so much from each other. We have a very tight knit group of locations and partner owners across the country. And I mean, not only do we have a lot of fun at our meetings, et cetera, but we have the ability now to talk to, you know, currently 81 different owners or 75, I should say, different owners across the country and learn from each other and share best practices. So if you're interested in learning more about Window Depot, visit windowdepotpartnership.com or feel free to reach out to us uh, via email at any time. You go right on that partnership website and we're happy to have a conversation with you. Cool. Well, Richard, I really appreciate you taking the time and being here with me and, and sharing really good stuff, man. Really good stuff. I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Glad to lend a little bit of perspective and share with the group Been listening to the podcast for years. And uh, every morning when I have my hour of power, a new episode comes out. Love to listen to it. It's very stimulating and uh, encouraging well, as well. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Hang on a minute. But to everybody listening, until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a different way? Did it spark an idea or ideas that you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. If it did, I'd like to ask you a favor. Would you leave a five-star review of the podcast? By doing so, you'll help other contractors find the podcast more easily so that we can help them achieve more success, wealth, and freedom. And before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. In fact, if you haven't already, make sure you go to thewealthycontractor.com and get your free copy of my latest book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. Just pay shipping and handling, and I'll take care of the cost of the book. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsia.